Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Am I Saved? Whether we grew up in church our entire life or were a brand new believer, chances are we've asked ourselves this question before. Our prayer is that you gain a better understanding of the authenticity of your salvation by listening to today's message. Good morning. Everybody good? Woohoo! I'm excited to be here. I hope you are. Um, real quick, I uh, want to welcome you if you're a first-time guest. Man, we are glad you're here um, and been praying all week and praying this morning that God would move in your hearts um, and do incredible things. Um, that's why we do what we do is so that God does something great in us, that he can do something great through us for his glory. And so we're glad you're here um, and thankful for that. I want to mention something to you real quick. We're about to jump into a new series here called Am I Saved? But there's one thing I do want to just um, reiterate to you say one more time is we do have a youth trip coming up this summer. It's June the 3rd through the 7th. Um, it's down in Panama City, so you have to hate to be a kid, right? Um, Panama City, um, it'll be the be- beach in Jesus is basically what it'll be about. And so it's $325. Really want to get behind this as a church. Really want to get your children there. Um, your, your, sorry, didn't mean to call you guys children. Um, get your young men and women there and uh, get them down there, man. We believe God's going to do awesome things through this conference called Sold Out. Um, I had an opportunity to speak to the youth on Wednesday night. I'm so excited about what God's doing in their lives right now. Um, was just really impressed with everything and, and their attentiveness, attentiveness, their respect um, for the word. And just believe God's going to do some great things in and through them as well. And so um, if you want to sponsor a child, man, we'd love for you to sponsor. You can just write a check to the Church Connection Church. Put on the memo line, um, sponsor, sponsorship, you can do a whole or part. We want to make sure that every child who wants to go can go um, and uh, experience what uh, God has for them down there. So it's going to be awesome. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. It's where we're going to start today. We'll look at several other scriptures. Um, and I uh, want to look at this thought of, am I saved? And, and really contemplate that. Um, for those of you who are saved, baptisms are coming up. On April the 28th, if you have not been baptized as a believer, the Bible is very clear your next step is to be baptized. So if you're a believer in Jesus and have not been baptized as a believer in Jesus, we believe you should be baptized as a believer in Jesus. We're going to do it right out here uh, in the parking lot. It's going to be an awesome time. So hopefully uh, the Lord would move in your heart to uh, move you to be baptized um, if you are saved and you do know him. Speaking of saved, before we jump into the series, I want to just say a little bit about what that means because if you come from... Um, an unchurched background, de-churched background, or even if you've been in the church all your life, a lot of times we wonder, what does it really mean to be saved? I mean, if you're saved, like, it means you're saved from something, right? I mean, you can't be saved if something wasn't going to get you, kind of thing, right? And so when we look at the word saved, what does it mean when we say as a church that we've been saved? It means that we've been saved from God, basically. Because as people, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible is very clear on that. And that what is rightfully ours, as we'll see today, is his wrath, his judgment. He is a just and righteous God, along with gracious and merciful. And so the right thing for him to do is to judge evil. Um, the right thing for him to do is to, to uh, do away with evil. And um, the thing we have to see is that through Jesus taking his wrath, he did um, for us um, a, a, basically the ability for us to have peace with God. And so through that, we see that in Jesus, we now have peace. Um, it's why the Bible can say that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. is because the condemnation went upon Jesus 
we don't have to have that anymore because we have faith in his sacrifice. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But basically what we're saved from is eternity separated from God. Um, his wrath having been poured out on us. Um, because there will be a day when God does um, fully judge sin and sinful man. So with that encouraging thought, we'll jump into the word. Um, about In your Bibles, Ezekiel 36, um, beginning in verse 16 and... Uh, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. I'd encourage you to bring them. We're going to use them every week. Um, as we get into this, one more thing. As we get into this, I want you to understand the purpose of this series is not to make you doubt your salvation. The purpose of this series is to do exactly the opposite. Listen, as a pastor, the one thing I want you to know is I want you to know if, if you're saved or not. Like if you are saved, we need to celebrate that, right? If you know Jesus, we need to celebrate that. But the thing I find is that there are a lot of people who aren't saved who think they are. On the flip side, there's a lot of people who are saved that worry about being saved every day of their life. And so what we need to do is bring clarity to this question of, am I saved? Like when, when I die, when this temporary body of mine wears out and I go somewhere and my spirit spends eternity somewhere, where's it going to be? Because if it's in heaven, if it's in eternity with Jesus, we need to celebrate it. If it's not, we probably need to do something about that. So that's what I want to really focus in on this. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, that John was writing these things. I write these things so that you may know you are saved. Not so you can wonder or maybe feel 90% sure, but that you can know that you're saved and you can celebrate that. So that in mind, Ezekiel 36, 16. In the book of Ezekiel, you are reading about a people, um, the Jews, these, these people of God, God's chosen people who he brought to himself. He, he made a covenant with them, an agreement to be their God, and, and they... We're told, listen, just obey my laws, obey my decrees, do everything I ask you to do. Things will go well with you. I'll bless your land. I'll bless everything. But we find them in Ezekiel 36 when the prophet Ezekiel several thousand years ago is speaking to them and he's telling them, listen, you haven't done any of these things. And we're going to read in just a second about this, but basically what's happened, and I want you to understand, they've been scattered throughout the world. God's people have been scattered. They profaned his name. They've gone um, astray. They're not following him anymore. They've, they've, they've been scattered throughout the world. And, and so we're picking up here with a people who have been judged by God and who have been scattered, who God is, has uh, put his judgment upon them. Now, greater judgment is coming, but God has already put judgment upon them and scattered them throughout the world. And so we're picking up there in verse 16. And the prophet Ezekiel says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. So what they were doing was wrong. They weren't obeying my decrees. They weren't doing the things I asked them to do. Their conduct was that, like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they shed, had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. He says, I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And listen, wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people and yet they had to leave his land. In other words, is your God not big enough to keep you in the land? They don't understand God has passed judgment on them. They don't understand that this is the fate of all man is that one day all people will be judged. In verse 21, he says, I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Let's pray. God, thank you. 
for your word, even when it challenges us, Lord, even when it reveals our heart, God, thank you, and especially thank you for that. God, I pray today that the layers of our heart would be peeled back and that we would see what's there and we would surrender it to you and that we would be drawn to you by your spirit. And God, that we would leave this place different, changed forever to bring you glory and honor in our lives. We love you and we thank you for who you are, what you do, how you do it, what you've done for us through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, real quick, uh, kind of an easy question to answer. Um, Holding my hand, what? Dasani. How do you say that? Dasani. Dasani. Is that right? Dasani. All right. And so there's something special about this water, though. It's magic. It's not magic water. But there's something special about this water. It says at the top of this water bottle that it is purified water. Purified water. How many of you are thirsty? Anybody thirsty? You got up this morning just kind of thirsty? Thirsty? Yeah. Some of you are thirsty. Would you drink this water? You would, wouldn't you? It's purified water. It's pure. Why would you not drink it? It's good water. It's purified. But here's the thing. If I took this cup, hang on a second. <clears throat> sorry, sorry about that. I got something caught in my throat. If I took that, just a little spittle. Slosh it around a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But here's the thing, like, that's just gross, right? I mean, you would drink this water, but you wouldn't drink this water, would you? Why? Because you spit in it, dummy. Yeah, that's right, I did. I spit in it. But here's the thing, is that if, if we were from a child, from our earliest childhood memories, from the moment we were born, that, that the water you drank was water I had spit in, it wouldn't bother you, would it? Why? It's all you knew. You'd think it is normal to drink spit water. In fact, you would be like, I can't drink this water unless Brandon spits in it. Because that would be normal. Here's the thing. Only by comparing this contaminated water with this pure water do we understand that this is pure and this is contaminated. Right? For many of us, our lives have been lived thinking that we were okay because we've been comparing ourselves to the wrong standard. For many people in here today, what we don't realize is how holy God is because we don't compare ourselves to the highest standard that there is. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that is perfect in every way. We've compared ourselves to people around us or even the standards we've set up. And so to us, we look like this, but to God, we look like this. How many of you say this is nasty? In fact, when I, when I spit in it and I poured the water in, I, I literally heard some, one of y'all over here, I heard y'all, said, that's nasty. That's nasty. I can't believe he would clear his throat and spit in a cup and pour water on it out like he's going to drink it. That's nasty. And here's the thing about it, though. We don't realize that that's our sin before a holy God. Right? We don't realize that we say, that's nasty. We don't realize we say, that's gross. We don't realize how defiled our idol worship, we don't realize how defiled our sinfulness is before a holy God. 
We just don't understand it. And the thing I would like for you to see is this. Until we have a clear understanding of God's holiness, we can never recognize our sinfulness. Until we recognize our sinfulness, we'll never recognize our need for the gospel and the salvation of Jesus. So my prayer is today, and this may seem kind of harsh, but I pray you realize your sinfulness. Because it is only against the black, the black backdrop of our sinfulness of sin that we can see the light and the hope of the glory of Jesus. That's where the Israelites were. They had defiled the land. The land was defiled because of their actions. God compared it to a woman in, during the time of um, menstruation, during her menstrual cycle. He says, this is how you defile the land. He said, you, you, you've shed blood. You've shed blood and, and you've worshiped idols. You've made sacrifices to false God, gods. You've, you've made sacrifices to all these other things. You've worshiped all of these idols. And he says, and you've been judged because of it. This is the thing that we need to see because sometimes we can read this book that was written hundreds and even thousands of years ago and we can say, I don't understand how this applies to me. But the thing that I would tell you, what we have in common with these people is one, that we worship idols. That we live in a land that is defiled by idols. That everywhere we go, there are idols. Many of us even have them in our home. Many of us have them all around us and we worship them day in and day out and we don't realize that we're worshiping idols. It's just what we know. The other thing we have in common with them is that one day we will be judged for our idol worship. One day we will stand before a holy God who is perfect, who is so much further perfect than a bottle of purified water. And we will be judged. There will be a time where we have to give account for it. We have to recognize that. And here's the thing that I think probably a lot of you are asking is like, what are idols in my life? What are idols in my life? Because here's the thing we think about. You're like, I've never worshipped Baal. Never worshipped, you know, never had an an Ashtoreth pole, you know. Never sacrificed a goat to some god. Never done any of these things. Certainly I don't have idols in my life. See, an idol is anything that you set up in the place of God. It's anything that you worship, anything that has, listen, this is an important word for today. Anything that has your affection other or greater than God. What has your affections? What are you living for? Because see, here's the thing that some of us don't realize is what an idol can be. Because see, this right here, this can be an idol. It was for me for a long, long, long time. A baseball. For some of you, it's a ball that's a little bit smaller. Same color, a little smaller. Golf ball. For some of you, a little bit bigger. It's orange. Final four. For some of you, listen. It's trying to create your kids into the next Derek Jeter. Hello. Not going to happen. I love baseball. In fact, I spent all day yesterday at the baseball park. But this is the thing I can tell you. I will not serve this ball. This God is pathetic. It is puny. I tell my kids, boys, you can love baseball. You can play baseball. It's not your God. Because here's the thing I can tell you about any idol in our life. It will let us down. Some of you have idolized your spouse. They're going to let you down. They're not God. 
they will do the be- they may do the best they can for you, but they will let you down. Everything other than God, the God, the one God, the only God, will let you down. And yet we'll continue to serve idols as if some way they can do for us what only Jesus can do. You say, well, I don't have an idol. I don't even like baseball. I only like sports. I just sit at home and eat Cheetos and watch soap operas. I mean, probably your idol, right? But some of us don't realize this, that you woke up in your idol. You made breakfast in your idol. Some of you last night, you slept with your idol. Because sex outside of marriage is sin and what you've done is you've created an idol in your life. If you're not willing to give that up because the Bible is very clear that we should, then you worship idols. A lot of us drove here in our idol. Right? How crazy is it that we would ride in our idol to get to the place where we're going to worship? Is that not crazy? You say, well, I don't, I don't, that's not my idol. Well, you sure do spend a lot of time maintaining it. You sure did sacrifice a lot to get it. How about Facebook? Well, don't go to that, preacher. That's what the sacred. How about your phone? Could you go without could you go without your phone for a week? Could you go without Facebook for a week? Could you could you go without um um, um, I'm worshiping those things for a week or, or would it be easier to just not worship Jesus for a week if you woke up tomorrow and all those things were gone you couldn't have them or whatever else I haven't named and they were gone would you remorse the absence of those things in your life or would you remorse it more if Jesus was gone from your life so it points us to the place where our affections lie and our affections will always dictate our actions. What has your affections? Listen, some of you, last night you drank your idol. Last night, some of you smoked your idol. Some of you injected your idol. Some of you snorted your idol. For some of you, when you woke up this morning, listen, your appearance was your idol. It's your God. Do you see how temporary that is? I mean, listen, you can nip it, tuck it, snip it, tape it, whatever you want to do. But gravity's going to get it. It's temporary. It is temporary, and I am seeing the effects of gravity more every day of my life. Whatever, it's temporary. But you know, the number one idol, the number one idol in our lives is us. It's us. We live for us. We put us on the throne. We put ourselves on the throne and the only one deserving of the throne. And you can try to put yourself on the throne, but you're not going to displace God. But so many times we try, we live our lives as people just like these Israelites were living their lives, trying to displace God with idols. I'd like to tell you today that I believe this. I believe idol worship is treason. And the reason I believe that is because treason is when you try to um, 
do away with the sovereign. It's when you try to replace the sovereign. It's when you try to overthrow the sovereign. And many of us make it a habit and we live our lives in this place of trying to overthrow God as, as the sovereign God. It's not going to work, but we keep trying. He's the king, and key, king of kings and Lord of lords, whether we say it or whether we believe it, he just is. But we try to overthrow him. It's, it's treason against God to worship idols, to put something else on the throne of our lives. And the thing I want you to understand is that treason, even in our own country, is punishable by death. And so the thing that we have to realize is that, listen, I'm not talking and preaching at you. I'm in this thing with you is that we have this temptation, this pull of idols in our lives. And the thing that we have to see is that the Bible is true. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. We all do go to this place where sometimes our hearts begin to wander. The thing I would ask you, though, is this. Who or what has your affections? Like, what are you living for? Ultimately, what are you living for? Because the reality of it is, listen. According to where our affections have lied, according to the fact that we all have sinned and fallen short, we all deserve to be judged. And I hear this all the time. This is one of the most popular questions that I get. One of the most popular questions, bar none, is that people will come up to me and they'll say, how can a good God send a good person to hell? I have a very simple response. He won't. He won't. It never has. The Bible's clear. There's only one who's good. Listen, the other night I was, I was with my boys, um, my older two boys. I read the Bible with them. We pray. We go to bed at night. And I read. And we actually read about the crucifixion. And Jackson, Jackson's not my deep thinker. Dake is my deep thinker. Dake thinks about things. Dake even challenges me with things. Like things I've been doing for years and years. Like brushing my teeth or something. I mean, he could just come up and be like, Daddy, why do you brush your teeth that way? I'm like... Shut, shut up. Let me brush my teeth. Well, why do you button your shirt from the top down instead of the bottom up? And I'm like, Dave, I don't just stop. And he thinks about everything and he wants to know every, every single thing. Jackson's more of my kid, like not just playing ball that he would look and find something else to look at, but in the midst of the ball in the air coming to him, he's the one that would be like, there's a butterfly smack you know i mean that's just so it's kind of funny when when uh, we were having this conversation the other night and uh jackson was the one who piped up and he asked me a question he said daddy and we're reading about the crucifixion of jesus and and jackson said daddy those are bad people why doesn't god just get rid of the bad people i said well jackson who's bad and he said those people that killed jesus and people that hurt people they're bad people why doesn't god just get rid of the bad people and I said, well, Jackson, they're bad to us, but what if we compare people to God? Then who's bad? And he said, everybody. And I said, and who does everybody include? And he said, me. And I said, you still want God to get rid of all the bad people? He said, no, sir. <laughs> but it's the reality that a six-year-old gets is that we're all, we all deserve judgment. We all deserve God's wrath that he says he had poured out upon them. And understandably so, we all deserve to be separated from God for eternity. We don't deserve to be in the presence of a holy God. I mean, come on, we're sinners. We're idol worshipers. We say, God, I'd rather serve this than you. I'd rather pursue this than you. I'd rather live my own life than love you. We don't deserve to be in his presence. We do deserve wrath. We do deserve to be judged. 
You listen to this verse in verse 21. He said, I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. I had concern. I read that the other day and man, it just exploded in my heart because this is what I saw that in the time when we had no concern for God, no desire for God, no interest in God, God had concern for us. Is that not awesome? That while we're out chasing idols, while we're out trying to satisfy every sinful and sensual desire that we can possibly think of, we had no concern with God, didn't even care if God existed. God had concern for us. That is an awesome, awesome God. But sometimes I think we get a little confused about why he was concerned. Does God love us? Yes. Does God have a plan for us? Yes. But the Bible is very clear, especially in Ezekiel 36, that the reason for God's concern was not so much you and I as much as it was his holy name. The God's like, you've profaned my name. I'm not going to turn my back on you completely. I'm not going to leave you forever. I promise not to do that. But what I want you to understand is that right now, everywhere you go, and just by the fact you're displaced from your land, everywhere you go, you're profaning my name. I'm not going to stand for that. And so he's true to his covenant that he made with his people, that they would be a people of priests, that they would be a people that brought honor and glory to God. And he says, I'm going to do something in you. I'm going to do something for you. And it's going to be because of my holy name. See, God's holy name, it doesn't just mean like, like I would call you Sean or John or Sally or Susie. It's more than that. It's his character and his nature. And God says, because of my character and because of my nature, because of my great name and because I want it displayed throughout the earth, that was my intentions from the beginning of time. I'm going to do something great. I'm going to do something that brings back the the righteousness of my name, that brings back the character of my name. And this is what I believe with all my heart. I believe that God is raising up the church in these last days so that the church is no longer burdened and, 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 and covered in this facade of religiosity, but that he raises up a people who truly love him, who don't just praise him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. He is raising up a church and he's raising up a people that will once again bring glory to his name. Believe that with all my heart. I believe people are tired of playing religious games. I believe they're tired of confessing one thing and living another. I believe they're tired of trying to pick bad fruit off of a bad tree and never dealing with the root. And so all their life, they're just going to Bible studies and they're just saying prayers and they even learn how to pray. Oh, thou father, thou art holy. And they say all these things and they get into all this stuff and they're trying to cover up all this stink and they're trying to pick all this bad fruit off of a bad tree with a bad root, but they never let God deal with the root. And I believe that God is starting to go to the heart of people who won't stand for this false religiosity and won't settle for anything less than Jesus because they know that there's something better. They have tasted the holiness of God and that becomes their one desire. That's the thing that has their affections. I believe God is doing that in our day. With all my heart, I believe it. God is calling us. Listen, it says in verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do these things. 
But for the sake of my holy name, I'm going to raise up a people. It's not just about our salvation or about your salvation. It's about our salvation that brings glory to the name of God. It's not about just attending church on Sunday. It's about creating a community that loves and lives together. That that, that by their reactions and interactions to one another, they, they show the love of God. They care for people. This morning at 820, we met with a family and a young little, a young boy who we met out in this hallway having trouble with his eyes. And there were about 15 or 20 of us that gathered around and we were able to pray for this young man. We were able to anoint him with oil and he's been having some issues with his eyes and we were able to pray that Jesus would heal his eyes. We were able to thank Jesus that he has a plan for his life. We were able to join together as the body of Christ, united together to pray for him. That's what the church is. That's what God is raising up is a people who are united by the Holy Spirit that bring glory and honor to God, not just people that show up on Sunday morning and then continue with their idol work but people whose hearts have been touched and changed by the living God God's done a great work in them the Bible says he goes on in verse 23 I will show the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations the name you have profaned among them then the nations will know that I am the Lord declares the sovereign Lord when I show myself holy through you through you through you before their eyes. Understand this, your holiness doesn't come from focusing on holiness. Your holiness comes from focusing on the one who is holy. God's holiness is worked out of you, not in you. God's holiness comes from salvation. You don't work for salvation. All of this stuff right here, man, that he does, that he uses us to become a holy people, it's because we cleave to him. It's because we abide in him. It's because we hold to him. It's because we know that if I need him, like I need my next breath, and we hold on and he begins to work in us, not because we just work for him. The work we do, it comes from what God does inside. He goes and he says in verse 24, listen, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you back from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. He says, I'm going to grab you because I'm concerned for my holy name. See, here's how a lot of us come into this Christian faith. We come into the Christian faith being taught that it's still about us. We're taught that, hey man, this is what it's about. It's about you, man. It's about you. And we come into it and then we realize that Jesus called us to follow and we can't follow his life if we're still living our life. And we're like, whoa, I don't know if I signed up for this. And the disillusion we come into faith with is that we say, well, God's writing this awesome story. And we're like, praise God, he's writing a story. The confusion comes in this, that we think that it's a story about us. God's not writing a story that is, has us as the main character. God is writing a story that has him as the central main character. It's just by his grace and mercy, we get to be a part of the story. It's not our story, it's God's story. But here's the crazy thing about it. We fight and we kick and we claw so that we don't have to give up our life. But the Bible is true that if we'll give up our life, we'll find true life. Doesn't make sense. The Bible also says not to lean on our own understanding, but trust the Lord. And for those of us who found that, for those of you who know that, you know that real life is found in Christ. It is not found anywhere else. I've tried to find it other places. It ain't there. How about that English? It's not there. Nowhere else will we find life. 
Now we come to this next verse. These are some of the most awesome verses. And all of this is speaking to the work that Jesus is going to do for us on the cross and through his resurrection and through the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's prophesying a day that God will do something supernatural in our hearts. He says this in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is really speaking of a moment of salvation. It's a moment when we come to trust Christ and trust the sacrifice and trust the fact that he did take our wrath. Trust the fact that that he did take the punishment we deserve. Trust that his sacrifice is sufficient to reconcile me to God. And there's this big word that's pretty big to me, like anything over five letters, pretty big to me. There's this big word we throw around in, in Christian circles. It's called justification. And what that means is in an instant, in an instant, a moment of faith that God gives us the righteousness we can never attain on our own. He just justifies us before himself. He makes us right. He gives us righteousness just like that. In that moment, he gives it to us. This is what he's talking about. It's when he gives us forgiveness and he cleanses our sin. He takes our sin away. He makes us right before him that we can never have made ourselves right. And some of us are working our rear ends off trying to make ourselves right before God. You can't. The only way to be right before God is through faith in Jesus. And when you come to that, You come to this place of justification when your life before God is made right. Not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. Not because of what you can do, but what he's already done. You come to this place of being justified before God. Being made right before God. He says, I'm going to sprinkle you with clean water. I'm going to make you clean. I'm going to cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'm going to give you a new heart. And see, here's the thing I really want you to grab hold of. So if you're asleep, wake up for this at least. Take this away. I really want you to hear that when we come to faith in Christ, one of the things that is sure as you're sitting here today, one of the things that happens is he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new control center, the very core of our being, the very things that control us, the very essence of who we are begins to change and changes us at the core. And he gives us a new heart. Some of you have experienced this. I was actually sitting with a guy not too long ago, it's been just a few weeks ago, I was sitting with a guy and, and he had grabbed me and he said, I need to talk to you. And I was like, what's up, man? What's going on? He's like, I don't know what's going on. He's like, I can't tell you what's going on. He said, just know I see things differently. He's like, what have I been doing? And he began to tell me about his life. And then he asked me again, he's like, what have I been doing? I was like, you've been being a jerk. That's what you've been doing. I seriously literally told him that you've been being a jerk. He's like, but I see that now. I don't want to be that anymore. I can't believe this. I can't, it's like I see everything differently. And I was like, welcome to the kingdom. Because that's what happens when God changes our heart. We begin to see things differently. We begin to desire new things. The thing I would ask you is that, have your affections changed since you came to know the Lord? And then some of you would say this. It's like, I've just known the Lord all my life. I grew up in a Christian home and I just knew the Lord. And I've heard preachers say this. They're like, well, you knew the day you were born. You ought to know the day you were born again. And I'm like, don't even make sense. I'm like, can God not save a three or four year old? Like my wife, who's one of the most godly people I know, like literally is. She can't tell you on May 17th of 1979, she was two years old then, don't tell her I told you that, that she was saved. 
But she knows this, and this is what I ask you. If you're in that place where you just have known the Lord all your life, are your affections growing in, towards him? Listen, for all of us, whether we know that day, I can tell you mine. It was March 17th of, or April 1st. Of, I don't even know the day. March 17th was when I hit rock bottom. That was St. Patrick's Day, by the way. Go figure. Put the dots together. Bad day. <laughs> April 1st of 2000. It's a day that God gave me a new heart. She can't do that. But this is what I can tell you. Whether you've grown up knowing the Lord or whether you have that day you know, like God changed my heart. The question I would ask you, though, everybody, is are your affections growing for Jesus? Are you beginning to have greater affections for the things God loves? And are your affections dying for the things he hates? If we're going to ask ourselves, am I saved? One of the ways you know whether you're saved or not is whether or not you've received a new heart. Whether or not you've gained different affections. Whether you're growing to love the things God loves and growing to hate the things God hates. Has that happened? Have your affections changed? Has God done a work in your heart? That's part of what it means to be made a new creation is we're given a new heart with new desires that desire new things. It's not about church attendance. Listen, you can go to hell with a communion wafer in your mouth. Sorry, but you can. You can go to hell wearing a choir robe. You can go to hell in jeans and a shirt. That's just what I wear, sorry. You, that doesn't make you saved. If you received a new heart by faith in Christ, are your affections growing for Jesus? I want to ask you a couple of questions, and I want you to understand this. When you receive a new heart, it doesn't make you perfect. I promise you, I am not a perfect person. You don't have to be around me long to figure out I am not a perfect person. But what it does do is it begins to change and shape the trajectory of your life to be different. Have your affections changed? Are your affections growing for Jesus? Are your affections being stirred? I believe as Christians, the thing that stirs our affections are the gospel. That's the thing that I think stirs. Man, when we read the gospel, when we hear the gospel, when we pray to God, he reminds us of the gospel. When we begin to look at the gospel of Jesus, that he gave his life for us, that he filled us with the Holy Spirit, that he made us clean, he justified us. And we begin this process, this next big word, it comes up in verses 25 or, or 27. He says, I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. It's called sanctification. In that moment of justification, we begin this process of sanctification. And it's when our affections for Jesus, our heart begins to lead us towards him. The Holy Spirit's working in our lives and we begin to cooperate. Justification is free and instantaneous. Sanctification lasts for the rest of our lives as we pursue him out of new affections. Are your affections stirred by him? Are your affections stirred when you read the gospel? Let me ask you this. Are your affections stirred when you look at the work of Jesus in your life like are your affections stirred when you look at the work of jesus in your life listen to this verse or these verses in chapter 6 of first corinthians beginning in verse 9 it says do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of god and we already established that's just right that's just just that's what god should do he says do not be deceived Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to understand that's not an exhaustive list. That's basically Paul going, y'all all in this. That's basically what he's saying. And he says, and this is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were cleansed. Remember the sprinkling of the water. 
You were justified. We already know what that means. You were sanctified, set on this path of being changed by Jesus. So you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. And I love the fact that it says, and this is what some of you were. Because at the moment we come to Christ, we go from sinner to saint. Now our actions may not be out of a saint yet, but in God's eyes, we go from sinner to saint. So he very clearly says, this is what you were. You're something different now. And if you've been walking with Jesus very long and he has given you a new heart and he has your affections, then what begins to happen is you begin to see life different and you begin to live life different and you begin to realize I'm a different person. And you begin to see that over time, God has done something in your life. One of the things that makes me worship God more than anything, one of the things that stirs my affection for him is when I look at what Jesus has done in my life, when I realized this simple fact of who I was before him and who I am after him. Not made perfect, but a whole lot better. I can tell you, March 17th, when I told you I hit bottom, I was so drunk in Savannah that we were out, we were dancing, we were doing all this stuff. Had the opportunity for a little extracurricular activity. I'd been married for four months and I remember walking away from that night, going to a van to ride home with my buddies. One of my buddies looked at me and he said, I'll give your marriage six months. And as drunk as I was, I started getting sober real quick. And I realized if somebody does not intervene, if something does not intervene, I'm about to ruin my life. Two weeks later, Jesus saved me. He rescued me. He changed my life forever. And I cannot quit praising him for the person I was and now the person that I am it has nothing to do with me I know who I am but I thank God that he is greater than my stubborn heart thank God when we come to this place where he changes our life and he changes our heart we're able to see and praise him and our affections are stirred let me ask you this do you have your affections stirred when you realize you're no longer an object of wrath or an object of condemnation, but you're now an object of his mercy and his grace. That you don't have to go through this judgment for sin, but you've been forgiven. You're no longer condemned. That's why Romans 8 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When I think about that, and I think about who I am, I think about the things I did and the things I've done and the things I'm going to do. I'm like, oh my gosh, thank God. I'm no longer under his wrath, but I'm under his mercy. And it stirs my affections and it makes me want to pursue him and love him even more. How about this one? Are your affections stirred when you see other people saved by Jesus? This isn't an exhaustive list. I'm just wanting you to look at where your affections lie. When you see somebody else come to Christ, does it stir your affections? Does it get you excited? Do you realize like they're experiencing the same thing that I've experienced? They're going through the same thing I went through. You get excited, like we've kind of just shaped the culture here that somebody stands up for salvation, we just clap. I think a lot of people are, who just come in for the first time and we start clapping, they're just like, they don't know. They just start clapping. The question is, do we really rejoice in that? Do we really rejoice? Luke 15 talks about how people rejoiced when they found a lost coin, a lost sheep and a lost son. And he talks about how heaven rejoices. Do we rejoice in that? Do we really? Is there something in us that goes, yes, that's what it's about. How about this? When you think of the opportunity to know him more, 
Are your affections stirred when you realize there's so much more to God that I can know? There's so much more to God that he wants to reveal to me. He's so multifaceted. I want to know every facet of his being. That's why I go to the word. That's why I go to prayer. I want to know every facet of who he is. I want to see more. Think about the apostle Paul who said that. He's like, I just want to know Jesus. I want to know him. He says in Philippians 3. I'm like, Paul, you're the one he blinded on the road to Damascus. Then he healed your eyes and scales fell off. And then you preached all these messages and you brought all these people to him. And you've written most of the New Testament. You've done all these great things. And you want to know him? But there was something in him that said, I just want to know everything about it. I, I can't get enough. Our affections stirred when we think about knowing him more. Or how about this one? Are your affections stirred when you think about eternity with Jesus? Are your affections stirred when you think about this reality? I get to live with him forever. I get to worship him forever. See, here's, the, here's, here's something that's troubling. Is if it's a burden to come and sing songs to Jesus on Sunday, and it's a burden because sometimes I preach 50, 55 minutes. I ain't saying I'm the best preacher in the world. I'm just saying. It's a burden to hear the word of God, there's a burden to open your Bible, then heaven's probably going to suck for you. Because it is a place of intense worship, not of just the written word, but of the word that was made flesh, Jesus. When I think about doing that for eternity, when I read verses like these that speak of of, uh revelations of heaven that john had and he sees these different people worshiping around the throne it says surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones this is in verse 4 of chapter 4 and seated on them were 24 elders they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads from the, the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder before the throne seven lamps were blazing these are the seven spirits of god also those before the throne there was a what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in the front and in the back. The living creature was like a lion, like second was like an ox, the third had the face like a man and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy Lord. It says going down to verse 10, It says the 24 elders would fall down when they would sing before him who sits on the throne and who worship him, who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns aside before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Jump on over to the next chapter. In verse six, it says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, the Lamb of God who was slain for the world, standing in the center of the thrones, encircled by the four living creatures and the, live, and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes. Don't get lost in all the horns and eyes and spirits, and which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It says, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom of of priests, to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. 
and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. And they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down down and worship. When I think about a place that I'll spend eternity in, when I think about a place where I can see the lamb that was slain for me, Jesus Christ, when I think about worship that is so intense that peals of thunder are heard, that it's like lightning flashing, that angels upon angels, thousands upon thousands are singing praise to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that people are falling on their face and they're worshiping him. There's something in my spirit that just says, I want that. I want that. I want all of this to fade away that I can have that. That I can see him face to face. That I can know him. Because there's something in me that tells me there's more. My affections aren't for this place. Man, listen, I get distracted like everybody else. I like to go do that. It's not saying you got to sit at home and just rock around in prayer. But it's affections that go and they flow up to one who is greater. That everything in my life is dictated by the king. And when I think about worshiping him, when I think about falling on my knees before him, when I think about being face down before him, worshiping him, and every time I look up, I'm amazed again for eternity at how amazing he is and how brilliant he is. I'm reminded. How glorious he is. And I fall back to my face and thank him once again for who he is and what he's done. Are you stirred? Are your affections stirred by the thought of spending eternity with Jesus? Does Jesus have your affections? Has he ever had them? Has your heart wandered? Have you set up idols in your life? Have you ever known him? Has he given you a new heart? Because this is the thing, if you don't have a new heart that's changed your affections, then I would have to tell you in the the most loving way I can tell you, you probably don't know him. And the answer to the question, am I saved? Is no. And here's the thing, you got two options, basically. One way I would tell you not to handle this. One way I tell you not to handle this is to poke out your lips, get mad, and walk out and say, I ain't got the right to tell me I ain't saved. (laughs) Stupid preacher, why I don't go to church? Preacher did point his finger at me. I ain't pointing my finger at anybody. Okay, now I did. I ain't gonna let him talk to me like that. Who's he think he is? I'm a sinner just like you. Saved by the grace of Jesus, made a saint only by the purification of his blood and sacrifice. Walk out of here mad with your lips pouted out. If you don't like it, do something about it. If you don't like it, surrender to the king. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He's drawing you in. Why are you resisting? Why are you running? It's a loving God who desires to 
give you mercy and grace? What do you do if you realize I don't know him? What do you do if you realize I know him, but I've set up idols in my life? The Bible's very clear on that. You repent. You turn. It's saying, I don't want these lifeless, puny, worthless idols. I want God. I've seen how puny they are. I've seen how worthless they are because I've seen the glory of God. I know there's more. I don't want this. I may be scared to take my next step. I may be scared to sell out and go all the way, but I'm going to pursue him because he's worthy. You repent of sin. You repent of lifeless idols and you go to the one who gives life. Am I saved? Listen, the Bible doesn't want to hold you in bondage to doubt. God wants you to know. Are you saved, man? I hope so. I hope the same God that's living in me is living in you. I hope the same God that saved me has saved you. I hope the same God. I hope we'll be together worshiping around the throne of God. Because we put our faith and our trust, we've leaned upon the grace and mercy of Jesus and his sacrifice. I believe there are people in here that you know today that God has done something in your heart and you know that he has changed your heart. I just believe it. I just believe there are. I want to ask you today, you know, Jesus did a pretty bold thing. He went to the cross. He took the wrath of God upon himself. He suffered so that we could be with him in glory. And today I want to ask you, you realize I don't know him. He's never changed my heart. He doesn't have my affections. I I don't know him. But you want to today. He's changing you. He's drawn you to himself. And you say, God, I need that. I want that. I want you. I want to ask you if you'd be bold your feet and let us recognize you you've given your life to Christ you've trusted him you've accepted the invitation as he's not on the door of your heart would you stand up today and say I need Christ I want his life for me I want to be glorifying and honoring to him God did that in your heart today would you stand up stand to your feet we're going to applaud we're not going to sacrifice you amen amen praise God Praise God for that, man. Listen, we know this is the beginning of a new life. You, you listen, you're justified before God. If you put your faith in him, he's given you a new heart. You're justified. Now we want to walk through this sanctification process with you. You want to walk through the rest of your life. If you stood up, will you walk over here? Billy's in the red shirt. Miss Beth is in the blue shirt. They want to pray with you. Take, their, take your next steps with you. We want to be a family. God, listen, God didn't just give his son so that we could become um, an individual saved by grace, but a community saved by grace. We want to be that community for you. Will you just walk over here? Let us pray with you. Walk through this with you. Praise God for you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving them. Praise God. Listen, here's the next thing. It's 12-12, but it's all right. We got eternity. For some of us, 
we've erected idols in our lives and something's taken the place of Jesus. Our hearts have wandered. Maybe a fear, maybe a worry. Listen, I don't know. Whatever it is that's taking your affections, maybe something that's just robbing your joy. See, idols come in and they spy on our freedom in Christ. They promise one thing and never deliver what they promise and they rob us of our joy. They're thieves. Today it may be time to lay those idols at the altar. We're going to sing a song. Matt's going to lead us in a song called Nothing But the Blood. What an awesome way to refocus our lives and our attention. What an awesome way to come back to this realization that nothing but the blood can save me. There's nothing but the blood that deserves my affection. Nothing but Jesus and his sacrifice that deserves all that I am. And with my life, I'm going to worship him. I want to ask you, you need to come this morning and lay something down here. You get out of your seat. If you've got to push past 15 people to get out of your seat, push past. They don't care. And you come and you pray and you leave it here. And we're going to celebrate the God pursues us he draws us to himself will you stand and sing come if you need to and let's pray and let's leave those worthless puny idols at the altar you can come on